Well, today we are continuing our series on the life of Abraham from the book of Genesis. It's called Abraham Hearing God's Call. And sometimes we might think about, you know, why should we be studying the life of a man such as Abraham who lived thousands of years ago, lived in a very different culture and time than ours? What, what purpose does it have? Is it just so we can tell the stories, you know, to our kids about what happened to the Old Testament uh, saints? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 11. It says, and this is in the context, speaking of an Old Testament story, a different one, but it's saying, now these things happened to them, the people in the Old Testament, as an example. They were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. And so the stories that God, by his Holy Spirit, incorporated into the Bible are not random stories. They're not just there to tell us what happened long ago, although they do do that. The stories in the Bible were written down by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to give us examples, this scripture tells us. Examples of what? Well, examples of how we should live our lives by faith and as we follow God, as some of the stories tell us about. Examples of how we should not live our lives. Everybody who's mentioned every story that's told in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well is not a story of somebody living a perfect life, doing everything God told them to do. There's stories of people Messing up really, really bad. Examples of what we shouldn't do and examples of how God blesses those who obey and how God brings judgment into the lives of those who disobey and don't follow his direction. And so this verse says that these examples that we read are for our instruction. We're to learn from them because we're living in this time of the end of the ages. We're living in the very last segment of history, the time between Jesus' resurrection and his second coming. That is the end of the ages. That's the time in which we live. And so what are we learning from Abraham's example as we've gone through this series? First of all, we've learned that God has a specific plan for each of our lives, just as he had a plan for Abraham. Without exception, everyone seated here, God has a plan for your life. He has a path laid out before you were born for you to follow. We're learning that God reveals his plan step by step as we go through life. You know, as a baby, there, God doesn't download a plan to give to your parents to tell you everything you're going to do in your life. He reveals it step by step. In Abraham's life, he revealed his plan incrementally. He didn't tell Abraham everything at once. It's step by step. We're learning there is always opposition to God's plan for your life. Some of that opposition comes from within, from wrong decisions or wrong beliefs that we might have. And some of that opposition comes from without, seeking to derail God's plan for our lives. And finally, we're learning the importance of faith in believing God to fulfill his plan for our lives as we obey. So those are just some of the things we've learned so far, and we're going to continue to learn as we draw near to the conclusion of our series on Abraham. But today our message is from Genesis chapter 19, and I've entitled it Evil Judged. Now to understand Genesis chapter 19, we need to briefly review what happened in Genesis 18. Last week we had a missionary here, and if you weren't here, uh, the video is out, uh, incredible stories of God 
leading and guiding them in their mission work among unreached tribes on the island of island nation of Vanuatu, the island of Tana. I think I got that right. Uh, in, in, incredible stories. You should really, if you weren't here, listen to that video. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big faith builder. So back in Genesis chapter 18, in Genesis 18, the Lord and two angels appeared to Abraham and Sarah. And they announced, first of all, that within a year, Sarah would give birth to the son of promise, the son that God had promised them, and that son's name would be Isaac. And so this was the first time that they had a definite time period. They'd been waiting for years and years for this to happen. Uh, she was still not pregnant, but the angel said it was going to happen. And then they revealed, secondly, to Abraham that the sin of a city, nearby city named Sodom, was, was very great. And that city was going to be destroyed by God. Well, there was an issue there because Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his family were living in Sodom. And so Abraham began to pray that God would spare Sodom from destruction because that's where his nephew and family lived. And he interceded. And it was a long story. You can go back. and That message is online as well. But the Lord said that he would spare Sodom if he found just ten righteous people living in this city. Well, today's story of the sin and judgment of Sodom is a very important lesson. Uh, it's not just an isolated story in one chapter in the Old Testament. Uh, in the whole of Scripture, the city of Sodom is mentioned 50 times. 40 times in the Old Testament, 10 times in the New Testament. The book of Jude, and we certainly don't have time to look at all 50 references. We're going to pretty much stick with Genesis 19. We're going to look at a couple other ones. The book of Jude in the New Testament warns New Testament believers against false teachers in that day, saying that these false teachers would be judged. And it says in Jude 1, 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. They serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And so again, the story of Sodom is an example for us, was an example to the people in the New Testament, was an example to us as well. Uh, first of all, the power of intercession. We're going to see how Lot and his family were rescued. And secondly, a warning that evil behavior will be judged, both in this life and at the coming of Jesus Christ. So, Today, as we go through Genesis chapter 19, we're going to learn four principles, four main principles that apply to our lives today. First of all, we need to avoid compromising with sin. In the very last part of Genesis chapter 18, the Lord said that the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah was very great. Their sin was very grave. I must confess, I don't totally understand what this outcry is, but it seems that when there is great sin, there, there's like an outcry coming from earth to heaven that something needs to be done. We see this first in the very first chapters of, of Genesis, where Cain kills his brother Abel, and the Bible says that there was an outcry of his blood in the ground of the, the murdered man, uh, Abel. There was an outcry that came up to heaven. 
And so there's an outcry to heaven when sin is great. And so God said he was going to visit and investigate. And so our story begins in verse 1 of chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And so despite the fact that it was widely known that there was grave sin in Sodom, Lot had chosen to live not just near, but in that sinful city. And not just live there, he was sitting in Sodom's gate. Now in Old Testament times, who sat in the gate of a city? Well, it was the elders, it was the leaders of the town. They sat there to do business. That was where the important people uh, hung out. And you didn't sit in the gate of the city if you were just some underling. This was for important people in the city, people of prominence. Second Peter 2.7 says, If he, that speaking God, of God, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Now there's a whole passage here about Sodom and Lot and things there you can read for yourself. But what I wanted to point out with this small verse here is that we're going to find out that Lot was rescued, but more importantly right here, that Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked around him. He understood what was going on was not right. He himself did not indulge in that wickedness. He was tormented or distressed by the evil around him, and yet, inexplicably, he chose to live there among all of that. And we're going to see the end result for Lot was not good. It really resulted in the devastation of his family. It seems that Lot chose to live in this very wicked city in order to reap financial gain, in order to attain a position of prominence in the city of Sodom. We read when he chose to go there that he chose the area with the best land, the area with the luscious grass. And of course, you know, to us, what's that? But if you're somebody who's raising herds, that is money. That is financial gain. And so Lot's story really, I believe, is a negative example to us of compromising with sin. Now, what about us today? How are we tempted to compromise with sin? Now, we're going to see that the sin of Sodom that brought God's judgment was sexual perversion. And so we're going to focus on that sin today, but the principles apply to all other kinds of sin as well. Now, in America and around the world, sexual perversion really seems to be increasing exponentially, really in the last 50 years ago. Now, of course, it's always existed, okay? We're talking about thousands of years ago now in the city of Sodom. It's always existed, but in our culture today, it's increasing exponentially from what it was 50 years ago. Technology has lowered the barriers for sexual sin. Pornography is rampant today, uh, far beyond what it ever has been among both men and women. It's merely a click away on a phone. So there's very, virtually no barrier to viewing or engaging in almost any kind of sexual perversion there is. The number of Americans who view pornography as morally acceptable continues to increase. It's now 43% think there's nothing wrong with it at all. And it won't be long before the majority of Americans think there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, the percentage of people who endorse same-sex marriage in the last 20 years has gone from 27% to 67%. 
So the majority of people in America now view uh, homosexual marriage as perfectly morally acceptable. Now, addiction to porn often leads to real-life illicit sexual encounters of all different kinds. And what happens? Sexual encounters outside of marriage often lead to abortion. The murder of innocent children that we're seeking to help with through Thrive University. Of abortion patients, only 14% are married, which means 86% are not married. And so abortion is largely the result of fornication, adultery, outside the marriage bond. Sexual sin destroys lives, it destroys marriages, it destroys cultures, and ultimately brings God's judgment. And as it becomes worse and worse in our society, we're tempted to go with the flow, to not rock the boat. Everybody says it's okay, so we're tempted to approve of it or even compromise with it in our own lives. But God wants us to live holy lives, to stand out, to be different, to point people to Jesus. Because Jesus can free people from the sin of sexual bondage. He can free people from every other kind of sin as well. So we avoid compromising with sin. Secondly, we need to recognize what was the evil of Sodom. Our story continues in verse 4. It said, before they had gone to bed, speaking of, this is a long chapter, so we're going to, we can't have all the verses. We're going to uh, encourage you to read the whole chapter 19 on your own. If you have your phone or Bible there today, you can skim it as well. And so, a lot had provided a meal for the angels. So it said, before they, that's Lot and his family and the angels had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. And so Lot and the two angels had just eaten supper together. It was dusk. And now Lot's house was surrounded by the men of Sodom. Now in the description of the event, the Holy Spirit really makes it clear by repeated language, all the men, every part of the city, young and old, uh, that all of the men of Sodom were complicit in what was happening. This was something that was running rampant in the city of Sodom. And so the men demanded that Lot bring these two new visitors, these two men. We know they were angels. Undoubtedly, the men of the city of Sodom did not know that. Whether Lot knew it at this point, we're not sure. Later on, he definitely did. They demanded that Lot bring these two men out so they could have homosexual sex with them. And so now we're beginning to get an idea of the depravity and, and sexual perversion of Sodom. So Lot goes outside. He tries to reason with this, with this crowd of men. In verse 7, he says, Lot says, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. So Lot fully understood that homosexual intercourse was wicked. He begged them not to insist on it with his guests. And then Lot boggles our minds, okay? He inexplicably offers up his virgin daughters to be raped by the crowd. Now, you know, it's, commentators have no idea what he was thinking. 
uh, at this point. Perhaps he was trying to save his own life. Uh, but regardless, there was no justification for offering his own daughters uh, to this perverted crowd. And so we see here that Lot somehow was being infected by the evil of Sodom. Well, the men didn't like his, uh, the men of Sodom didn't like his offer. Verse 9, they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn. I mean, he was a newcomer to Sodom and has become the judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. So the men of, the men of Sodom then threatened to, to rape Lot himself and break into the house and get the other men as well. They were not uh, going to be content. In the next verses, which we don't have time to read, uh, now we begin to see that these two men were truly angels, and Lot began to recognize the, the two angels reached out, pulled Lot inside the house, slammed the door shut, and struck all the men of Sodom with blindness. So they couldn't see. They couldn't find the door. They didn't know where they were going. And so the angels rescued uh, Lot and, uh, and really his family from the attack of the men of Sodom. So now we see clearly that the evil of Sodom was, was this unbridled homosexual lust. And it's very clear here. Of course, people give all kinds of explanations, but it, there's no way to sugarcoat it. There's no way to uh, say it's anything different than exactly what it was. And obviously today in America... Homosexuality is more and more being celebrated as a virtue. And we're, we're now, now we're moving on to celebrating anybody who comes out as transgender is a hero, okay? Because uh, I'm somebody who's a man, claims to be a woman. That's, that's a very wonderful thing. And those who call it wrong and destructive are, are threatened in all different kinds of ways. Even in America today, it's even worse in Europe and parts of Europe today. Simply preaching on this passage from Genesis 19 could very well lead to jail time for various preachers in various countries in Europe today. And yet the Bible is clear. From Genesis to Revelation, homosexual behavior is sin, and it keeps one out of the kingdom of God. Now we need to understand, uh, and this whole sermon isn't going to be about this, but we need to understand that the temptation or inclination towards homosexuality is not wrong. Uh, what is wrong is indulging in homosexual acts or actions of carrying out. Just as being tempted to commit adultery, having a, a temptation, the temptation is not wrong. What's wrong is, caring, is giving in to the temptation and carrying out the action. That just the fact that somebody is tempted, uh, a man is tempted by another man or a woman is tempted by another woman, that temptation is not wrong. Uh, what's wrong is carrying out the action. And I might add that just, just having homosexual tendencies is a part of the fall. That's not normal. That's not the way God created and often is, is caused by abuse and other things. But the temptation is, is something that is to be resisted just as all temptation is. And so not only is homosexual behavior wrong, it's an indicator of a society that's turned its back on God. 
And that's one of the reasons that this story of, of Sodom is talked about all through Scripture because it's an example of God's judgment coming on uh, extreme wickedness. So what should our response be today? Well, you know, people are addicted today to all kinds of sins, are they not? People are addicted to drugs, they're addicted to alcohol, they're addicted to pornography. People are addicted to uh, adultery, you know, heterosexual sexual activity. People are addicted to homosexuality. And God can set people free from every kind of addiction, including homosexuality. It's not a, it's not a life sentence. It says in the New Testament, we don't have time to go into it, that such were some of you. Uh, some of you were murderers. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were homosexuals. And God set you free. Uh, and you are no longer that. You are no longer engaged in that. But in order to be set free, a person needs to come out of denial admit their sin, and seek help from God. And so we must not celebrate sin. Uh, people must recognize that what they're doing is wrong. We must speak the truth of God's word with love. It's not helpful to people to celebrate sin. What if we celebrated alcoholics? Then they, you know, oh, it's, it's a, an alcoholic is a hero. Well, they would not seek help. You know, we don't do that. But for some reason, uh, we're doing that today with homosexuality. We need to speak the truth of God's word with love. Because God desires to rescue people. All right, so we've just seen what happened with the men of Sodom. We're back to our story here. And the angels spoke to Lot. And they said, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So they'd seen the evidence with their own eyes. Of course, God knew it all along and said, now it's time. Destruction is coming. And so Lot went out and said to his son-in-laws who were to marry his daughters up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to be to his son-in-laws to be jesting. And so these two angels had seen enough. They were going to destroy Sodom. The destruction was imminent. A lot went out to try to save the men who were engaged to his daughters. They refused to listen to Lot. They thought he was joking. They couldn't believe that God was going to destroy Sodom. And of course, Lot's daughters were going to marry who? Some men from Sodom, which undoubtedly was not a good thing. They didn't have the patience to wait for godly men or Lot didn't have the wisdom to go out to seek godly men. He could have. Abraham and his whole entourage weren't that very far away, consisting of many, many people. Story continues in verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And so the angels warned Lot that time of destruction is fast approaching, and yet a short three-word sentence, but he lingered. Why did Lot linger? Perhaps he didn't believe the angels that this city that had it been his home was really going to be destroyed. Maybe he didn't want to leave the city. For whatever reason, 
Our picture of Lot is not a particularly flattering picture. Uh, he was really not in tune with God. But because of the Lord's mercy, the angels grabbed Lot and his family and pulled him out of the city. He wasn't going on his own behalf. They had to basically force him out. The angels, as we go on in the story, we don't have time to read it all, told Lot to flee to the hills. And Lot said, oh, I can't do that. It's too hard. Let me just go to this little town here in the valley, Zoar, and perhaps I'll be okay there. And the angel said, okay, we won't destroy Zoar. You can go to the little city, and, but all the other cities are going to be destroyed. And so Lot... Um, lot. So we see God's mercy in responding to Abraham's prayer to rescue Lot and his family. Uh, the city of Sodom could not be spared because there were not 10 righteous people there. I mean, at most, we have Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. His son-in-laws pretty much are disqualified, but even with them, that's six. Okay, it's not 10. This is four, so it's not 10. Sodom is toast, as they would say, but the um, city of Sodom would not be spared. And so I see here as Lot as being a rather negative example for us. I mean, in contrast to the men of Sodom, he was a righteous person. He didn't indulge in all this sexual perversion. But he really wasn't a man on fire for God. Uh, he certainly did not evangelize Sodom, but he lived there compromising with the evil. But because of Abraham's prayer, God showed his mercy on Lot, showed his mercy on his family, and he rescued them. And God wants to rescue people today. He's the same God. People who are caught up in, people who have compromised with sin in their lives, uh, people who are addicted to sin. In a sense, every unbeliever is addicted to sin in one way or another. We might not call it a clinical addiction, but that's what unbelievers are. They are addicted to sin. They're headed for eternal destruction unless they are rescued. And God wants to use us. God wants to use you to pray for the rescue of people around us. Not just say, oh, what awful people they are. He wants us to pray that they might be rescued before they fall into destruction. He wants to use us to help lead them to Jesus. And so time is of the essence. Those who slip into eternity without believing in Jesus will be forever lost. Now, obviously, that's true. If Jesus returns again, it's going to be too late. But if people die before they repent, they're going to be eternally lost. And of course, the devil has that great work today. The amount of addictions and things are increasing in our society, as is what? The rate of suicide is going up and up, be largely the result of all these addictions. These you hopeless. And people are deluded. Why do people kill themselves? Because they think they're going to rest in peace. Or, and if they haven't repented, if they haven't given their lives to Jesus Christ, it's going to be nothing close to resting in peace. It's going to be in eternal torment. And so time is of the essence to reach people before they slip into eternity without believing. Because God is going to destroy the wicked. <clears throat> so verse 24, then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. <clears throat> and 
And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. And so the sin of Sodom and the surrounding cities had reached the tipping point. We've seen this other times in the Old Testament. There becomes a point when judgment is going to come. The sin is too great. It's continued for too long. Judgment is going to come. And so the Lord completely destroyed Sodom and the other cities around with sulfur and fire from heaven. Not a person survived. Uh, the wicked were destroyed. And so when Lot, or when the angels led Lot, his wife, and his two daughters out of Sodom, they gave them strict instructions not to look back at Sodom. You can read that uh, in the part that we didn't read here. But in Genesis 19.26, it said, But Lot's wife behind him, behind Lot, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, you know, a lot of people like, why, you know, why this terrible judgment on his wife? All she did was look back. And um, to properly interpret this verse, I think we need to look at what Jesus said. He talked about Lot's wife in Luke chapter 17. Again, we don't have time to read that whole passage. You can read it on your own. But he was basically saying that when judgment was coming, people need to escape. Um, We think that's speaking of the time when judgment came. Uh, on the city of Jerusalem. Uh, it also could be referring to the second coming uh, as well. He's saying no, mu- no one must turn back or go back uh, to get anything behind. Uh, don't return. Don't go back. And he said, remember Lot's wife. Basically saying that's what she did. And so I believe if you look at the whole Council of Scripture about Lot's wife, she not only looked back to Sodom, she turned and went back. She didn't believe the angels. Perhaps she didn't believe her husband Lot, uh, that anything was going to happen. That said, they were all crazy. Uh, She kind of went with her son-in-laws, refusing to be rescued. And I believe she was destroyed uh, along with the other inhabitants of, of Sodom by sulfur and fire. And oftentimes in cities that have been deluged by volcanoes and things, people almost become, as it were, encased in lava or salt or different things. They become like statues, and it's undoubtedly what happened to her. So verse 29, so it was that. When God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. And so we see that in the midst of the destruction of Sodom, all the cities of the valley, God remembered and rescued Lot. Why? Uh, because of the prayers of Abraham. Because uh, Abraham had prayed are, you going, prayed, are you going to destroy the city if there's righteous people there? Now God ended up destroying the city. There was not enough righteous people, but he rescued those who were truly righteous, which and it ended up being Lot and his two daughters. And God destroyed the rest of the wicked. And so the destruction of Sodom is a picture of God's wrath. God's wrath is, is being poured out on sin in this age. But it's going to be poured out completely at the return of Christ. And so the destruction of Sodom is a warning that unrepented sin will lead a person into eternal destruction. 
As believers, we must resist in compromising with sin that's all around us. Oftentimes, we find ourselves laughing and joking about sin that is destroying people's lives. And laughing and joking about it is, is kind of compromising with it because it's a terrible, a terrible thing. We must recognize sin. We must seek to help those who are held captive to it. And God wants to use you. He wants to use me to rescue people. They're, they're all around us. Oftentimes people keep it covered up. They hide it. He wants us to use us to rescue people from the sin that keeps them in bondage. And it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that people can be set free from being addicted to sin and come into the family of God. It's only through Jesus that people can have eternal life and escape eternal destruction. And so today, as we do every Sunday, I want to give everyone here an opportunity to be rescued from sin and its consequences in your life. If you have not yet become a believer in Jesus Christ, or perhaps you are, and you, or you have in the past, and you feel like you've wandered away, perhaps you feel like you've been compromised with sin, and God wants you to recommit your life today. So let's bow our heads and we're going to pray a, a short prayer to either commit your life for the first time or to recommit your life to Christ. Say something like this, Father, today I admit that I've sinned, I've done wrong things. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid the price for my sin that I might escape eternal destruction. And I ask for his forgiveness. I believe he rose from the dead. He's alive today. And I commit myself to following him as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for rescuing me. For the rest of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today we thank you for your word that warns and instructs us with a story of something that literally happened thousands of years ago. Sulfur and fire came down from heaven and destroyed all the cities in that plain, cities that were in rebellion against you. Forgive us, God, for compromising and, and joking about the sin that surrounds us and thinking it's not so bad. Help us to recognize the evil and destructive power of sin in people's lives. Show us how to work with you to help people to recognize the sin in their lives and to help to set them free from that sin. Help us to have an urgency, God, to rescue people before it's too late, before they meet their maker. We thank you, God, that you go before us and you put us in situations with people that you have planned for us to help, that you've planned for us to help rescue them, God. We pray that you'd help us to see those divine opportunities and take advantage of them. God, we pray that you'd use this church and each of us here to set many more people free from sin and on a path of walking with you. There's so many needs, God. We pray that you lead us to the people that you want us to help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.